Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. For any new listeners who don't know what to expect, in each episode, I interview an expert on an emerging area of public relations. I get to the facts, but I leave out the jargon. It's a podcast about marketing, but it's in plain language. No, really, it is. (laughs) Welcome back to all of my regular listeners too. If any of you have any comments or questions, just tweet me at Stella Bales. And don't forget to subscribe on Spotify and on iTunes, whatever you listen on at the end of the episode. Enjoy. Now, it's been widely reported that PR budgets are being reduced. Data gathered back in June from the world's 100 most powerful communicators found that there's actually been a huge drop in PR investment in the last 12 months. In fact, it's been over a billion dollars, went from $4.8 billion and reported to dropped to 3.7. It's time to take action. Although we can't control our clients' budgets and decisions that are being made, what we can do is make better efficiencies with the fees and the budgets that we are receiving within agencies. And importantly, how those finances can be protected, especially in a challenging climate that we are experiencing right now. It took me back actually to when I moved from PR agencies to a digital marketing agency. And I really went on a big commercial learning journey. I really learned how to make sure that measurement and ROI was always at the top of mind. And it wasn't until around 2013 that I started working with our CFO, Simon Collard, that the commercial education really began. It was alongside Simon and an amazing management team there at that agency that we saw huge differences. So they tripled the margin, they quadrupled the revenue that was coming in and they times the profit by 10 from before that they were working there. But before you think that sounds like it was hard work, we actually won best place to work eight years running. So it was far from a workhouse. And the agency was in such a stable position that Coverage Book was actually founded there as well. But it was in those years that I really did learn a lot from Simon. So I have invited Simon, the best CFO in marketing, onto the podcast so we can share some of his wisdom with you guys. In our chat, we talk about fees and the age-old argument of whether we should be time or value priced in PR. Simon also talks about whether we should be outcome price and or output price, which is interesting as well. We talk about resilience and conscious over-servicing, <laughs> big difference there, but also why you must be aware of profit vampires and how to deal with them. Simon shares why a profit and loss sheet actually a lagging indicator to an agency's health. And if you're noticing a negative point in a PL, it could actually be too late. But he also gets to the nitty gritty of numbers and, and includes what kind of percentage of revenue you should be spending on people and also cost per person. He talks about forecasting and the golden key to agency profitability. He talks about time and resourcing and the best ways to manage it. Simon has been a CFO for 30 years now, and he's now working with multiple agencies on a consultancy basis. He's a busy man. So I'm so excited that I managed to tie him down for 45 minutes and get some of his wisdom. So without further ado, here's Simon. Simon, thank you so much for joining me and joining me so quickly as well after our conversation last week. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me. Nice. Good. So we actually had a conversation last week. Mm. I really wanted to speak to you and get you onto the podcast because we worked together at an agency which was 
very profitable mm. in my agency life back when, way back when. Yeah. And I just feel like you are full of wisdom that could the listeners who are at agencies could really do with hearing right now. No pressure. Uh, okay. <laughs> wisdom. Okay. Now, it's no big surprise or news of why we're talking about this, but just as a reminder, everybody in the PR industry knows right now that there is there has been a reduction in budgets to provoke 100 research, which was a report recently interviews the industry's top 100 PR leaders. And it was reported that there's been a reduction of about $1 billion in budgets in the last 12 months. There was another article just gone live on PR Moment this morning. It's everywhere. So you work with agencies and the agency we worked at together was very profitable. (laughs) So how are you feeling if the agencies that you're working with right now, what's the climate going on? What's happening that you've experienced? Well, I think think there's, there's several things going on, one of which is the macro thing. And I think there is pressure on budgets. There's been a general slowdown. It's not just affecting PR, it's affecting all Marcom's agencies. And there's been a slowdown. And it's quite hard to disentangle whether that's kind of a natural slowdown over the summer and might pick up again in September. I think September is a key month for decision makers because you know people are coming back and things which have slowed down and be put off might be picked up again in September. But there is a general background of uncertainty. And I think when people are uncertain, the first thing they do is think, okay, what can I pull back on? What budgets can I pull back on? And I think that's where agencies and PR agencies maybe especially are under threat because people will be looking across their spend across their marketing spend, their agency spend, and thinking, what can we pull back on where our budget's softer? And that might be affecting PR agencies. I know that all agencies that I'm working with have experienced a slowdown in the pipeline, in decision-making, and I wouldn't say there's been more focus on budgets, on squeezing budgets yet. I think that was going to come through across the wider sector, but there's definitely a slowdown. Yeah. Now, There are things that we can try and do to persuade our clients to not reduce budgets. But I think before we sort of go on to the client side, what I'd really want to talk to you about today is how we can be more of a solid agency and profitable agency. There's especially the small to medium agencies that we are hearing from are struggling at the moment. There's been a few that have been reported that have had struggles. So what makes a profitable agency? Oh, starting with a softball <laughs> question. That's really, uh, just lob that one over yeah. to me. Go. Uh, go. Uh, it's a really interesting question. And I think it's, anybody who follows me on LinkedIn will know that I'm a great fan of alliteration because it helps my memory. But I think that it's quite useful sometimes because I think in terms of making a successful agency doesn't start with the P&L. It starts way before that. It starts with what problem are you solving for your client? And I think that's, one of the ways of making yourself sticky. Are you solving a vital problem for your client? If you're not, and you're not vital and you're not supporting, whether it's sales, whatever metric that is that you are helping them with, then you're liable to get cut. You've got to make yourself an indispensable partner rather than a supplier whose budget will go down a long list and go, okay, we can cut that and we're going to save some money because it's not vital for us. So it's about solving the right problem, having the right purpose. I'm not going to speak about purpose, but I think successful agencies have that feeling of a joint purpose, making yourself a partner, another P, rather than a supplier. It's about people, obviously having the right people as well and looking after your people. It's also about stretching the alliteration here a little bit, but it's about production. And by that, I mean delivery and delivering profitably for the agency whilst delivering a product, a service 
for your client. So it's that's all the P's from way back when. And to throw another one there, it's about managing the pipeline as well. Yeah. Remember the pipeline meetings early on in the morning. Mm. <laughs> Monday pipeline mornings, and, every single Monday morning. Pipeline and pulse. Um, vital. I really did feel, I do want to talk about the time that we did work together because that's why I was so keen to have you on the mm. podcast because it was a very different experience within that agency and when you and the MD, mm. shout out to Nikki Gattenby. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was a huge transformation when you both joined us and the biggest noticeable difference for me was working at that agency and such a huge focus on pipeline, on the return on investment constantly, the financial return on investment and how we manage time mm. was absolutely such a big focus in comparison to other agencies that I'd worked in previously. Mm. I hadn't ever experienced anything like it, mm. but we were very profitable. And yeah. so I guess I really felt that difference. But what kind of people are indispensable to make those kind of changes in an agency and to make sure that... People well, are looking at their time and being profitable. I mean, I think there's a really good question, uh, and it's about the commercial culture of agencies. Yeah. And I think everybody has a role to play in the commercial culture because it's whether you're raising an estimate or you're spotting opportunities either to upsell or to support your client and improve the relationship. I always find that the agencies work well when they're all going in the right direction. It can be a little bit like herding cats uh, from time to time. But occasionally, occasionally, the, the cats will run in the right direction, in the same direction. The more you can harness that and the collective wisdom, energy, ideas, creativity, talent of those people. And I think that's when a little bit of agency know-how in terms of time. And I've got nuanced views about timesheets. We are going to talk about timesheets, uh, listeners. <laughs> stay tuned. It's uh, exciting, exciting timesheet chat. But I think a little bit of how you use that information to manage the agency is really useful because it can identify, and this is a, probably touch on this again later, but it will help identify where you are over-servicing mm. and where you are over-servicing, then you have a choice. And I, I talk about conscious and unconscious over-servicing because you can choose to over-service. That's a valid choice that you want to over-service that client, whether that's to improve the relationship, to hit their metrics, to improve their ROI, to retain that business or to grow that business. Those are all valid commercial decisions. It's when you're just kind of over-servicing everything that that is a profit killer. That will kill your bottom line straight away because you will not be able to grow. You will not be able to take on new business without taking on new resource. And what you don't want to get caught in is that vicious circle of, well, we've got a low margin business, so we've got to get new business. And you're underquoting for that because you need the money, you need the revenue, and you need to bring in freelancers or extra resource to do that. And so it continues that spiral of low margin work. To give you a, an example, I've just been working on a, on a pitch document with a client just now. It's quite a, a sizable pitch you have to look at the marginal revenue and the marginal cost impact. What revenue is it going to bring in? What extra cost will you have to bring in to support that? And the most profitable piece of business, surprise, surprise, is when you've got spare capacity in the business because then the revenue will drop straight through down to profitable, down to, the, down to profit. And the way to make sure you've got spare capacity is not to use everybody's capacity on 
over-serviced clients. I feel like that was the biggest difference, actually, for me personally, moving from PR agencies and then working in, it was Propellernet. Mm. I was part of the PR team and then led to the PR team. Mm. And then we were set into sort of different departments where there was a paid team, more of a technical SEO team. I'm saying this to you, you know mm. this, but mm. this is for the benefit of the listeners. And actually, you're talking about time management, resourcing, we were talking about that all of the time, daily. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a weekly meeting where we would talk about how if we were over-servicing or not. And it was always my team that was the one <laughs> that would go slightly over for a short period of time until yeah. we actually looked at that. You just sparked something in my memory, actually, Simon. Mm-hmm. And not everybody knows this. There are many reasons as to why Coverage Book started. But one of the reasons was that my team was over-servicing because of reporting at the end of every single week. And Gary was looking at ways to tighten that up. And there wasn't a tool out there to make that process quicker. It's a fairly extreme way of tackling (laughs) over-servicing. It's to build technology. I know. But he he was, first of all, he was trying to help our department by trying to find a tool that would actually speed those things up. But the reason why I wanted, it wasn't just a huge plug for coverage, but there was actually because we talked about resourcing and where the Mm. time was being spent Mm. and conscious over-servicing or not. And that wasn't, that was something that was happening every single single week yeah. and the other teams it wasn't happening in because they were using technology and their time was used well. If there's a way you can deliver the same value to your clients in a fraction of the time, then you should be doing that. You should be looking at ways of, of improving delivery. That to me is a no-brainer. How important do you think it is to have somebody looking at the resource and time? Do you think that that is a full-time role or do you think that comes down to the client teams or a department lead? It will vary from agency to agency. I don't think it's a full-time role until you get fairly big. Before I was working with Propellernet, amongst others, I worked for an agency with about 300 people and that was a full-time role, probably more than one full-time role because the sheer complexity of having that number of people doing that number of jobs... But if you're a small agency, 10 to 50 people, I wouldn't have thought it's a full-time role. Mm. You need somebody who's got an eye for detail. You need somebody who's got that kind of mindset. So it's about choosing the right person. And that could be a department head, could be somebody in client services. So I'd go on aptitude rather than, you know, this person will do it. It does need a certain understanding as well because it's, and it shouldn't be somebody in finance, I don't think, because I shouldn't be telling people, where they should be spending their time. It needs somebody who understands what the service that you're delivering and understands the client requirements as well. Because mm. uh, me coming up to somebody saying, you've got 10 hours to do this, stop now. Mm. That'd be ridiculous. I think on that, actually, we've talked about time quite a mm. lot and there's always been a bit of a debate around time versus value mm. pricing. Now, it was always time and then it became more popular to be like, no, that's really underselling us as an industry. We should be value pricing. And we did some of that in past agencies, but then it was really important to free track yeah. in time. What's your opinion on those? Now, I'm slightly a value pricing sceptic in that I've rarely seen it work in true value pricing. I think what works for what I've seen work is more output pricing. And there's a false conflict between timesheets and value pricing. I think people, agencies should have a variety of pricing mechanisms. And if you can value price, great. But you should be aiming for output pricing, saying this is the service that we're going to provide and this is what it's going to look like. And more importantly, this is what it's going to do for your business. I don't think agencies should be in the business of selling time because 
we're not selling time. No, we're selling, we're selling outcomes. As well, isn't it's it? up for scrutiny and it's not a helpful conversation. Mm. We want to provide solutions and outcomes and outputs mm. for clients and metrics. And we should be focusing on very much on the outputs. How long it takes to deliver that, I think, is for us to engineer and to monitor. It shouldn't be how we're judged and it shouldn't be how we price. I think there's a false conflict set up between pricing and timesheets. You can do both. You can do value pricing and run timesheets. Yeah. That works as well as anything. I feel like there was a bit of a mixture of that that works quite well mm. back in that agency. Yeah, and I think if you're selling something, people need to understand what they're getting. And you can say, well, it's going to take 20 hours or 100 hours. To this. That's no guide to them, I don't think. But if you're saying this is what we're going to deliver and this is the output of what we're going to do, that's a good conversation to have with clients. This is how we're going to solve the problem. We're going to solve the problem by doing this. And it's also a really good defense against the, the oh, how long is that going to take you? Yeah. Question which was going to crop up and can be managed and deflected. My advice would be it would take as long as it takes to provide you with a service and an output you're happy with, mm. which is true, actually. Yeah. With no, no agency that I've worked with will stop at the end of their allotted time and go, down tools on the 25th of the month say we've used up our time no they may have a conversation about what they do but they're not going to sort of drop their put down their mouse here's a build from that then mm. what's your opinion on output versus outcome pricing so if you don't hit the results mm. they don't pay or you hit a bigger result they pay more well, there's a bonus malice i think the devil is in the detail there it really is. Have you seen it work? Not really. Yeah, for which party? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's a favourite of procurement, certainly. I've not really seen it work. And I think the biggest problem there is is one which is endemic to the industry, which is attribution. Who's responsible? That's uh, a whole other podcast, oh, yeah. attribution. Attribution. But we are going to have to touch sorry, on I'm it. Sorry, I, did, I mentioned the attribution word. It's true. I mean, there are certain things outside, well, there are a lot of things outside the control of all agencies, yep. and you are at the beck and whim of outside forces. And so that's the biggest counter-argument, is that that's the, the malice side of it. The bonus side, and then there's the whole kind of agencies want qualitative, softer metrics. Have we met expectations? Have we exceeded expectations? And clients will want you know, numbers and quant, but don't really want, won't really share that information. And, and again... You know, who is responsible for that? Mm. In my advice, for what it's worth, is that you play the game and you negotiate what those criteria are mm. and make sure that they are sensible and that you have visibility and you can impact them. And if you can't, then have that conversation and say, uh, and be honest and say, look, th that is beyond our scope. Mm. Or we are limited in the way that we can help with that particular output or outcome because of X, Y, and Z. Mm. How do we solve that together to get a better scheme? Yeah. And especially with procurement at the procurement stage, you, know, you engage with that discussion rather than say, no, we don't do that yeah. because it doesn't work. And that's designed to get procurements back up, I think. <laughs> um, you've talked a lot about these most successful agencies being very results driven. How important is it to... Talk about return on investment when you are pitching or when you're working with a client. ROI gets used a lot, but mm. the true return on an investment is really down to a financial result, which is really, really hard in PR. Yeah. A little bit 
more possible in other areas of marketing? How many agencies that you work with uh, are looking at that kind of thing? Very few in terms of our pure ROI. In terms of an ROI, I would say, okay, you've increased sales, therefore profit. This was the cost. The ROI is 230%. Yeah. And so there's a real... It would make a marketing director's oh, job a lot easier though, wouldn't so it? So easy, wouldn't it? Just spend which more is, money with Which is important to talk about right now. It's yeah. why budgets are reducing, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think that's always been the problem with marketing is which part of the marketing budget is effective. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and some of it must be. So I think it's important you talk about whatever metrics you can and what success looks like and what the scope of work and what you're expected to deliver in any agency. What are they after? What do they want? Mm. How can you help them? Again, it goes back to the problem mm. that they are solving. Now, there'll be an intermediary stage before a financial ROI. For sure, there has to be. And I think concentrating on that is important in terms of how they're going to evaluate you, especially if they want a bonus malice uh, arrangement. Okay, what are the metrics? Show me the metrics. And is that reasonable? And I think that's probably where that discussion should be. It's slightly unsatisfactory because I would love to talk about ROI. And some in performance marketing, to a certain extent, you can. It's closer to sales. But in every other sector, it's a little bit removed. And you have to think about work together with the client about what they want and what success looks like for them. And what, again, I'm going to repeat myself self and I do, I make no apologies for it. <laughs> what problem are you solving yeah. for your client? Yeah. If you're not, and you can't say, we have solved this problem and we can demonstrate we solve this problem with this metric. This podcast is brought to you by CoverageBook, the tool that creates beautifully designed reports with credible metrics you can be proud of. Head to coveragebook.com for your free trial. It is really important to get that really clear at the beginning. <clears throat> and what was in, I found, again, working at that agency, was that mm. you have your initial client but who may have a problem, but it's important to know what the problem of the business yeah. is, isn't yeah. it? And to be trying to solve that. Budgets are not being cut because on a whim or malice of people. They're under pressure. Everybody is under pressure at the moment. There is a money is more expensive. Budgets are being cut. Everybody's looking at cash. And so working with them is especially important now because your client is under pressure to deliver and to deliver more with less. Mm. And they're going to pass that pain on to you. Now you can just absorb that and go, it's terrible, woe is me. Or you can work with the clients to figure out what they need, yeah. how you can work with them, mm. what they need to go to somebody like me in their organisation and go, I need to keep my budget or I need more of my budget because this is doing really doing good for the company. Do you think that's an important thing to do to try and go beyond just your budget holder who may be the PR director going to meet other areas, I think other budget holders? Absolutely. I mean, obviously the perfect client, you'd be engaged across a range of people and you'd have engaged relationships with CMOs, CIOs, you know, CTOs. So you've also got to think your client, whether it's just the budget holder or their boss, will be having, you know, there'll be a senior leadership team with a CFO who will be going, yeah, time's a little bit tough. We have to make some cuts. Um, who should we cut? Mm. How are we going to make that saving? And if you can work with your client to go, well, you shouldn't be us because of X, Y, and Z. Look what we have done mm. and look what we could do. That's a far safer place than being, than being passive and waiting for the axe to fall. That's a, 
be a terrible place. Yeah. Here's what we could do is interesting. Mm. Forecasting. Another thing that happened in that agency, which I hadn't experienced in another agency before, forecasting mm. what we could do for them, what benefits we could bring to their business. Mm. Do you think that that's important to do for an agency to be talking to a client in that way? Yes. I mean, I think we're in the business of selling possibilities in some way. You know, we have to sell life could be better. We can make your life better. We can increase your sales. We can increase your visibility. But without that, without hope, without that kind of we can improve, why would you employ somebody? Yeah, an agency? It's kind of, so absolutely, you've got to be positive and you've got to think about what you can be doing. You've got to be thinking about how you can make your clients, their job easier and better and more rewarding, but also the, their business as well. And they'll be having conversations and there'll be some mean-spirited CFO there. But we respond well to logical conversation. Not always possible if there isn't some safe money reserved in the bank. So I want to get on to how an agency can mm. protect themselves from times like this. Maybe we can't do anything about the budgets reducing around us, but what we can do is can have control on what's going on within our own businesses. Mm. Starting with clients, I know that there was a term that we used of how we viewed certain clients and there was a term called profit vampires. Profit vampires. Yeah. <laughs> Could you share what you meant by those? We've all come across them, we've all experienced profit vampires and I suppose it starts at the very beginning and it starts with the nature of the relationship, the nature of the engagement. It will start with the quibbling over the estimate, downward pressure on fees upward pressure on scope, wanting more for less. That's a starting point. And then there'll be, when we're actually working with them, they will be, it will be a negative relationship, both in terms of the qualitative, you know, in terms of the relationships, we're treated as a supplier. Um, we're expected to constantly do more under pressure with the fees that we're charging. And that will inevitably lead to an over-service however you want to categorise it, over-service clients, an unprofitable client, where it's costing, it can cost us money to service the client. It's quite easy with timesheets to rank which are your profitable clients and which aren't your profitable clients. And the best argument I have for timesheets, sorry to come back to that one, is it's a really quick and easy calculation to go which clients suck up our time or sink. Continuously. Continuously. Not just as a, in oh, one yeah. month. A, a one-off, fine. It's been a busy month. Yeah. Fine. But if month after month after month, is the relationship good? Are we treated as a supplier or a partner? Are we profitable or not profitable? Do people enjoy working on the business? These are all red flags. Yeah. And if you have loads of red flags across all of those metrics, you've got a profit vampire. Yeah. And then the conversation is a difficult one, both internally and externally. What do you do about them? And it is possible to not work with profit vampires, be more profitable, as long as you've got the pipeline. Can we talk about the pipeline and mm. bringing back another P? I, I love this setup for the conversation. I love alliteration. <laughs> Pipelines are important. Mm. How far in advance should you be looking? How important is sales and marketing to be bringing in those leads? Oh, this is a confession of an accountant. I mean, I've been working in the sector for, for nearly 30 years now. And lately I've kind of I've almost switched sides and I spend more time talking about the importance of sales and marketing to agencies okay, because the P&L, which is the kind of, you know, the, the CFO's kind of report of, of choice is a lagging indicator. It is reports what has happened. Yeah. And actually nothing can be done. Yeah. You know, if I'm looking at July's P&L, it was gone. It's yeah. Done. If I'm looking ahead three months or six months time, it's about the leads that are coming in, 
the conversations that are happening, the pitches that are taking place, the pitches that are won or lost, those leading indicators are vital right. for agencies' rude health. So even at the point of conversations, that could be a lead in 12 months' time. Yeah. That's important. To me, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, I think it's what you do with that, how you, whether you measure that is up to the agency. I would probably measure it because if I'm going to grow and if I'm going to want to increase by 20% year on year, then I know that I'm going to have to be having more conversations to support that growth. Yeah. Or even if I want to replace a profit vampire, I'm going to have to have conversations now that might come to fruition six months or 12 months time. And so sales and marketing is vital. We don't, as an industry, I don't think we spend enough on sales and marketing. No. Nowhere near enough. No, not on ourselves, especially. No. Even though it's our bread and butter, we're not oh, thinking I, about it for ourselves. I, I don't know about you, but I think I'm terrible at taking my own advice. And I think agencies are terrible at taking their own advice as well. We'll be telling people, you've got to do sales and marketing. That's what we do. We don't do enough of it ourselves. Yeah. For small to medium agencies <laughs> who maybe have to make tough choices on who they're hiring, especially in this climate, maybe sales and marketing, a sales and marketing person hasn't been top of the list. So who should be looking at that? Who should be doing that job? I don't think there's any right answer, but if you've got one of the founders, they are generally the best people to be the most passionate, the most authentic, to sell their vision of what they're doing. And I think that's a really strong voice. When you grow, obviously, I think you need a little bit of support. My advice would always be to get a marketing manager rather than a marketing director, because I've seen that happen too many times and fall down because they're seen as the solution. So a marketing manager versus a marketing director? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Yeah, I think as long as you can keep the founder being the voice of the agency, the better. Yeah. And do that with the support of a marketing manager taking the day-to-day. I think there's a danger that there's a hero version of a marketing director coming in and solving the problems. I've seen that fail too many times because the vision of what they're supposed to do doesn't match up with the reality. Mm. And the vision probably is too grand, too ambitious. And they're not going to do it in the same way as the founder. That is a relationship which is really difficult to get right. The founder has a tough job in a small agency. Because (laughs) should they be looking at the time and the resource as well as the profit and loss and as well as the sales and marketing, probably being involved in some of their biggest clients? And this is where I think simplicity of reports is important because... Agencies can be quite uh, quite simple at heart. You, know, you have people, we have revenue, but it spins off an awful lot of data. Lots of data, which in the wrong hands can be dangerous because it just obscures what is going on. And I think my shtick is to keep focused on the simple metrics that really affect your business. Yeah, and which even, should be... Which should be, the obvious one is the people cost to revenue, your KPI. The one KPI you should adopt, it should be what proportion of our revenue do we spend on people? Mm. If it's 60%, happy days, you're going to be profitable. If it's 80%, things are getting tough. And I think having that benchmark in mind and looking forward, the next month and the month after, and maybe three to four months, is a really good way of kind of going, when do we have a problem? And then that's when the pipeline comes in. When do we have a problem? And what pipeline do we have that can solve that problem? Or if you've got some flexible resource, you've got some freelancers in there, and you look forward in terms of your forecast and you say, well, actually, we're going to have a problem in two or three months' time, which if nothing drops in from the pipeline, we might have to scale back on the, our use of freelancers so that you can keep that metric 
in balance. Safer to do that than a problem with full-time loved employees. Yeah, always a mixture. I'd like having freelancers in the business because it enables you to scale up and scale down Yeah, without having to go, we've got a problem next month. What do I do? Who do I make redundant? That's a horrible conversation. Yeah. And so freelancers buys you some time. Um, a metric that was new when we worked, well, not for me, when I worked mm. in the agency together, hadn't heard in previous agencies was revenue per person or revenue per head. Yes. Well, <laughs> revenue per person was, was the version because uh, revenue per head was seen as more too impersonal. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was just a group of us sat there being yeah, the heads. Your heads. <laughs> there is a danger as a CFO, you, you can think, you just... Think of you're a metric, as, you're a metric, down. you're a metric, you're a cost, <laughs> get on. It's a really interesting metric because I think it was the right one at that time. What I would say is be very careful about it because okay. it's not there isn't one revenue per person or revenue per head target that fits all because it, it varies. I've seen agencies where you could make a good profit at £70,000 revenue per head. I've seen agencies where you made £70,000 per head, you'd go out of business within three months, you needed to be £150,000 per head. So pro tip, always start with cost per head. Okay. So you've got your salary bill, you know roughly what your overheads are month in, month out. Work out your cost per head and then you add on, let's be aggressive, let's be ambitious, add on a 30% margin on top, which you're probably not going to hit. But let's say our revenue per head is 30% on top of our cost per head. Mm. So, and that will take into account the different size, shape and costs that each agency will have. And so that's your bespoke target rather than, well, I've heard 100,000 is the right figure. It's a red rack. You do want to compare yourselves to others. Yeah, you do. I remember that when we we would celebrate sort of ones. What what are other agencies doing? Comparison is the thief of joy. (laughs) It is. It is. We all do it though. We all do it. But if we're aiming for something which is outside of our ability and leads us to make bad decisions based on that, drop it. Figure Mm. out what works for you. And the most, I mean, the revenue per head, it's a nice metric. What really boils down to is what metric per head do you need to get 20 to 25% profit? And that's the most important one. Okay. You know, if somebody's doing £100,000 per head, good luck to them. It doesn't mean they're making a profit, actually. You know, if you're making a 20% margin, you're doing something right, regardless of your revenue per head. Let's talk about costs then, Mm. which is a key factor to profit. I've been in the PR industry for over 20 years and I've seen a marked change from when I first started Mm. um, in terms of how money was spent in agencies, starting at Hill and Knowlton in 2003 Mm. and moving through that time. Addison Lee drivers were our best friends. We we celebrated everything. Yeah, it was a very different time when I first started and then it quickly changed. So I, I caught just the last part of that PR heyday. But (laughs) I look back, it was good times, (laughs) it's good times. But I look back and I think, wow, those costs were out of control. How how did we make a profit? And so what is a good balance with costs? I mean, not just of having fun and celebrating things, but even getting to the detail of technology is huge now in agencies. Mm. You know, where should those costs lie? Should that be within the agency? Should it be, who should be keeping an eye on costs? Because they can, they totally are the make or break, aren't they? That will be somebody like me, really. Truth be told. Did you take away our fun? (laughs) Well, yes. But go back to the, that KPI, which I mentioned of cost as a proportion of revenue. But it's the 60-20-20 rule. 60% on people, 20% on overheads, 20% profit. 
that's the donut chart that I was trot out for people. Now, it varies a little bit. I, I think where agencies have got a lot better at over time is when I started, that was 50, 30, 20. That was the rule. That's why but pressures on fees have resulted in the people element going up, mm. but the overhead element going down. We spend mm. far less now on overheads. We're a lot leaner yeah. as an industry than we were yeah. back in the day. I mean, the Addison Lee account was... <laughs> The Con- constant- I don't know if they're even still going, are they? I'm not, I'm not sure it kept me awake at night, but it, it, there was an element of overspend and that's... That job, was probably- job numbers and Addison Lee. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Any of my old colleagues at H&K will know. <laughs> what job number can I put this down yeah. on? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, you're going to have to allow me a moment here. <laughs> <laughs> Part of me is nostalgic. For that. I know. I have to, have it was say, happier time. I was only 18 when I got introduced to that, so I had to, you know, unlearn all of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. To get back to costs, I mean, costs are... I genuinely don't think that costs are so much the issue now for agencies. We have got a lot leaner in terms of cost, that type of expenditure. I'm not saying necessarily it's a good thing or a bad thing. It's just a thing. It is of economic pressure. I think where we have to concentrate, I mean, we can make savings where we can and we have to look at subscriptions. There's always a, an interesting account to look at these days, what we'll be subscribing to. But I think the game is in terms of, is about revenue. It has always been about revenue and it's even more so about revenue now. So on subscriptions, do you think that technology costs should be within with the client or do you think that should be an agency service? It's a personal view, but I think it should be the agency's business. I think showing or charging, I'll give you a, a story back in the day. I even go back even further than you do. Back in the day, we used to make a, a lot of money from charging colour copies to clients. It was a money spinner. Our colour copy was the most profitable piece of kit <laughs> in the business. I don't think you get away with that these days. Right. It was just printing. It was yeah. just copying stuff. Yeah. But I think these days, it goes back to the output pricing. I think showing and adding something on which you're doing for people, I think it should be part of the output pricing. Mm. I think it should be part, you include it in the output cost rather than separating it out and saying, we're going to charge you for your share of, you know, of Sprout Social or whatever it is. It's a tool for agencies to deliver a service. Mm, and to save time. And to save time. I mean, yeah, that's a thorny era in its own right. So, yeah, yeah, because when you, and that's when you, the time value pricing thing yes. really becomes into focus because yeah. if we get more efficient and we save time, do our fees go down? That's where actually it becomes more important to talk about the output rather than how you get to the output. Yeah, sure. And if you get to the output through efficient use of technology, I don't think you should be penalised for that. That's why it's so important to talk about out- outputs and outcomes. Retainers, many retainers are starting to be switched to mm. projects. Mm. I'm hearing that from mm. a lot of agencies. How do you manage that? Well, I mean, this is an area that I do focus on because I do a lot of work with design and build agencies okay. who are almost not quite 100%, but pretty close to it, project orientated. Mm. And so that's a different skill set in some ways, mm-hmm. in the sense that you've got, it could be a month, two months, three months project. And so you have to have two or three skills, which is about how much, how complete the project is. Right. And that's revenue recognition because that can really affect your P&L. But also matching that revenue with the time spent on it so that it doesn't get out of kilter and understanding that if it's out of kilter, then you recognise that as soon as possible. Okay. And think, what do we do now? The project is getting a little bit out of hand earlier rather than later. And that's when I talk about leading and lagging indicators. Because if you leave till the end 
then somebody like me was going to go, hang on a second, we've built everything, we've taken all the revenue, but we're still working on this project because yeah. we haven't finished it. Yeah. And that is a vital skill that project, I was going to say project managers in the, in the widest sense, need to understand is how you manage projects. It is slightly different. It is different to monthly fees. How important does your, I mean, I guess the forecast and your pipeline changes quite a lot with projects. Mm. Oh, yes, I think it's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> and that's obviously, that's one of the, reminds me, a little bit of a plug, but my first course coming up was about forecasting and yeah. pipelines. Yeah. And it does vary and you've got to be on top of it. If you've got a monthly fee, life is quite easy in some ways. It's five grand fee. You put it in there, you roll it forward for as long as the contract. I'm being slightly glib there. But if you've got a project and it's 30 grand over three or four months, then when is that going to hit the PL? And that's going to change. And it's going to change. A lot of design and build agencies, their PL changes quite dramatically over the summer because people are away. Yeah. And they won't make decisions or not around to make decisions. And so the project speed slows down. And so the revenue slows down. And so it is a different skill and it is one we probably, I think PR industry is going to have to add. Otherwise, it's going to hurt. Being prepared for that. Be prepared because, I mean, project management is a different skill. If there is a switch between monthly fees and projects, there are different skills. I mean, I regularly provide a kind of, you know, go to a finance meeting with my clients and I look at the, obviously look at the forecast and go, fine, next month looks like this and it's good or bad. And then I turn up sometimes the next day and it's changed. Yeah. Because this project has dropped down. This project's been pushed back. The start time has been pushed back. That can be quite an exciting roller coaster. (laughs) Which is applied by saying that's really painful. Yeah. Really, really painful. But at the same time, projects should be more profitable. Yeah. There's more risk then, but it's always about risk and reward. There's more risk with projects, but the reward should be there if you can get it right. Mm. And so those skills, and those skills start at the beginning in terms of pricing. But they also extend through the life of the project in understanding revenue recognition, understanding whether the time is in line with the revenue as well, and raising a, a red flag if it's running over and what do we do. So but, take away, kill a point that if you could say to a PR agency right now, mm, what would it be? Simplicity and clarity about your targets. A focus on the leading indicators in terms of having more conversations and looking after the pipeline. Clarity about the the next three months forecast. Have some flexibility in terms of resource if you can. Focus on pricing as well. And always, always, always focus on what problem you can solve for your clients. Yeah. And then don't be bashful about telling people about it. Yeah. Yeah, market the hell out of it. How can people follow you and connect with you? Oh, LinkedIn's probably just Simon Collard. Look for me on LinkedIn. That's my sole social platform. And people can sign up to the course when you yeah, release it there. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be done. It's going to be quite simple. It's going to be a more or less a, a skill session rather than a course. Yeah. It's going to be quite simple and there will be lots of helpful takeaways that will enable you to kind of get your forecast up and running in a, in a CFO approved fashion. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Simon. That was just what I'd hoped and more. <laughs> Your wisdom has been shared. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's been, been fun. I always love talking about agency finances. Brilliant. Thank you. That was the PR Resolution podcast. If you want to learn more about emerging areas of PR, join the PR Resolution and head to blog.coveragebook.com. Stay in touch by following me on Twitter at Stella Bales and make sure you subscribe to the series to get the next episode. 